So about a month ago, uh, my family and I took an impromptu vacation to the Smoky Mountains. And, and, and we had this bright idea to rehike a mountain that Em and I had hiked five years ago before we had kids. And, and we figured, you know, how hard can it be if we add 35 pounds on our backs? Answer, it is incredibly hard to carry another human up a mountain. Uh, and so the five mile hike up was grueling, but the worst part was actually the last little chunk on the way down when the ground had actually flattened out. And that's because we saw a landmark that we were convinced was at the beginning of the hike. A and it was at, but the reality was we had over a mile to go. And so it was at that point that I truly began to understand despair. See, Em and I were exhausted the whole hike down, but it wasn't until we saw that landmark and the false hope that it gave us that, that despair crept in. Uh, so to loosely quote the, uh, the theologian Bain from uh, The Dark Knight Rises, you, you can't truly know despair unless there's hope involved. Uh, and we've all experienced that to, to some form or another with how COVID-19 was handled, right? It's only going to last two weeks. Oh, I'm sure it'll be back to normal by June. I mean, school has to go back to normal, right? And each time that false hope was yanked away, a new wave of despair and frustration sets in. Which leads us to ask a sobering question about our faith. Is the Christian's hope like that? Is it a false hope that, that yes, we cling to, but it will inevitably fail us? And so tonight we're going to explore what our hope is according to the, to the creed and how we should live in light of that. And so we, we have to start by simply asking the question, what is our hope? And, and the creed provides us with two future hopes, the first of which is the resurrection of the body. Uh, and, and this goes uh, against uh, a, a number of beliefs, right? That when we die, we cease to exist, stuff like that. Uh, but what the creed was actually trying to counter was this this uh, belief known as Gnosticism, G-N, Gnosticism. Uh, and we can summarize that belief like this. Your spirit, uh, the immaterial part of you, uh, was good, but the body was bad. And so when someone died, they saw it as your spirit, the good part of you, escaping from the evil body that it was trapped in. And when you believe that your body is evil and it will be left behind, it, it makes you rather flippant about what you do with it. Uh, and so the creed is, is, is countering that, and yet it's interesting that, that some of that same thinking has actually slipped into the church. I think about what is the normal picture of life after death for the Christian? It's, it's floating around on a cloud with a harp, singing songs day and night. It, it's really a disembodied state. It's Gnosticism. Uh, but, but our hope is actually an embodied state. Uh, but that doesn't mean that our bodies will be the same that they are now. Uh, here's how, how Paul puts it in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 50-54. It's not on the screen, so if you want to see it, you'll have to turn there. Uh, I, I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and, and this mortal body must put on immortality. All he's saying is that when Jesus returns, our bodies will be transformed in an instant from corruptible to incorruptible. So how does that happen exactly? 
Well, Paul says it's like a seed. He says, but someone will ask, well, how, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they, do they come? Uh, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of, of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Did that clear it up for you? Because it doesn't for me either. And, and that's kind of the point. Scripture is rather vague about how all of this is actually going to play out. Scripture is far more concerned and insistent on us believing in the resurrection of the body than it is about explaining the resurrection of the body. And we'll say more about that in a, in a minute. Uh, but first we have to look at the other hope that the creed emphasizes, and that is life everlasting. Now at first glance, that might sound amazing to you, but, but think about it a little harder. Uh, you all remember what it was like to be quarantined for those two or three weeks where no one was allowed to go anywhere? Now imagine that you had life everlasting, but you were quarantined for eternity. Quantity of life would be a prison, not a paradise. See, it's, it's the quality of life that makes the quantity good. And frankly, that's why eternity in heaven freaks us out sometimes because we aren't convinced of the quality of life that we'll have there. The scripture is insistent that it will be amazing. Uh, Revelation 21.4 tells us that, that, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Passed away. But not only will there be an absence of bad, there will actually be an abundance of good. Uh, Jesus declares in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Okay, good. So, so, so it'll be really good, but what exactly will we do? Well, other than bringing glory to God, once again, Scripture is not overly specific uh, on what we will do. Much like with the resurrection of the body, Scripture wants us to know that it's true. It is insistent that it is true but it doesn't give us specifics or spell out an eternal itinerary for us. And so, so this is our hope, and yet uh, hope can be a fickle thing, can't it? See, when we say that we hope in something, uh, we often mean that we are wishing it to be true, right? Boy, I hope I get a PS5 for Christmas. That's not certainty, that's wishful thinking. Uh, and, and, and so we need to realize, though, that whenever the Bible talks about hope, especially our future hope, it's a certainty. And, and so we need to understand how we can know that the resurrection of the body will happen and that we will, in fact, enjoy life everlasting. So we have to talk about the surety of our hope. And there's actually a whole chapter of, of the Bible dedicated to answering that question. And we've already made reference to it a couple of times. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 15. So Paul is writing to a group of believers who are confused about their hope. Uh, they believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but they, they weren't too sure what was going to happen to the rest of them. 
And so Paul starts out his explanation, rehearsing what they already know and believe. Uh, in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 15, it reads, For I deliver to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And I imagine that at this part uh, was being read there, you know, people nodding in agreement. But then Paul pulls the rug out from under them in verse 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as, as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. See, Jesus isn't in a separate category. If the dead aren't raised, then Jesus isn't raised either. And by the way, if he isn't raised from the dead, what is the point of trying to follow Scripture? If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, if there is no resurrection of the body and life everlasting, then do whatever you want. Eat, drink, be merry, have a good time, because we're all going to die. And you might think that that, that, that will... Uh, that sounds rather enticing to just do whatever you want. But it actually uh, is quite bleak because it makes everything meaningless. Thankfully, that's not our reality. Uh, he continues on verses 20 through 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So Paul says that Jesus is the, the firstfruits of those who have died. And firstfruits is exactly what it sounds like. It's the firstfruits of the harvest that are picked. And what happens after the firstfruits? The rest of the harvest follows suit, right? The rest of the fruit comes in. And that's Paul's point, that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have died. His resurrection wasn't an isolated incident. Those who accept him as their savior and king will follow suit. So how then do we, do we know that there will be a resurrection of the body and life everlasting? It's because it's already happened. It's already been started in and through Jesus. And so we simply look to him for assurance that we'll share in it. And so where do we go from here? Well, we need to live in light of this hope. Uh, he, here's what I think, and maybe I'm off base, but I don't think I am. Many of us believe everything we just talked about. Very few of us actually live like it. Many of us live our lives as if today, this life is all there is. Our hope rests here. But as Christians, our hope doesn't rest here. It doesn't rest in this life. And because it doesn't rest in this life, it should drive us to live differently. Here's how Paul, Paul summarizes it in the last verse of chapter 15. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you want to know how you can have the, the hard conversations with others where you invite them to church or, or uh, invite them to grapple with their sin and, and consider Jesus? Do you want to know how you can say no to all those things that are enticing out in the world? Do you know how you can keep pressing on 
when people laugh and mock you. It's by being assured that your hope is secure. And this is why it's so important to believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting.